You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. I'm Vadim from Calm Frog Recording. And I'm Ben from Dreamlot Studio. Happy to be with you. Uh, happy to be here with you again, Vadim. Wow, I just had a brain <laughs> fart. <laughs> right out of the gates. So off to a good start. Yep. Ooh. Oh, man. So, you got some news. You guys in the fading light yes. dropped your new record. You want to say something about that? Yeah, I want to say I'm glad it's over. <laughs> I'm glad it's finally <laughs> out there. <laughs> It's been it's been a long yeah. time coming, and I'm glad we could get it out there. And uh, I think more than anything else, like this is really our guitar player and singers project more than the rest of ours. Like, and and he's allowed us to have a lot of creative input into the songs and given us a lot of creative freedom, which is really cool because that's that's hard to do sometimes whenever it's your baby, you know, that you're yeah. putting out there in the world, but. Uh, Credit to Josh for allowing us to really kind of mold the songs and I think make them better for being open to that creativity. But um, it's just really rewarding for me having recorded a lot of it and produced it and mixed and mastered it. Mm, Long journey. Yeah, long journey. And just to kind of see, well, A, B, like his demos that he sent me and hear what we wound up with as a finished version. I think it was better than... I was even hoping it would come out and you know if it was like that for me in his brain I think it's 10 times more than that like I think he texted me whenever I gave him the first mix and said that uh, this is far beyond what he ever imagined this project sounding like so that's just really yeah. really rewarding so it's that's it's, the best feeling it is yeah it is that's awesome man well congrats to you guys and congrats to josh i know he even probably even a longer journey for him than for you because i think he had a lot of these songs rummaging around his his brain for a long time even before you guys started working on them right yeah yeah some of the songs are over 10 years old at least yeah at least two of them so yeah the goal is that now you get on a normal album release cycle of maybe once every year or two years instead of once every 10 years but Hey, you know, that's that's a big hurdle to get over, releasing your first batch of original oh, yeah. songs like that. And Absolutely. I think it can either get it either can get easier or harder depending on your momentum with it. So let's yeah. let's hope it gets easier. Yeah, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. I mean, I talked about this on the last episode, which is that just the the act of finishing mm-hmm. the project. Instantly makes you better, and instantly makes you better prepared for the next project. So I'm sure, uh, I'm sure you guys have more great things to come. Awesome. Well, thank you, man. Yeah, that's great. What's what? By the way, what's new with you? Anything? Anything of note? My uh, my back hurts. I oh. um, I do. Uh, I don't think we ever talked about this, but I I I'm a novice blue belt at Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Really. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I used to train a lot before COVID. But since COVID, I have uh, like one neighbor who's got, he puts some mats down in a spare bedroom. So once or twice a week, I go over there and we just, we just choke each other. And (laughs) today, earlier today, something, something happened. And now I can tell it's one of those back things that is going to be with me for the next two weeks. (laughs) Other than that, I feel 
Other than that, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Yeah, I don't do any of the martial arts anymore. I used to do some kung fu and I actually did capoeira for a little bit of time, which is fun. I don't even know what that is. What is that? That's the like acrobatic fighting. Not very no practical, way. but it looks super cool. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I think it's where, I, I think this is actually true and not just a rumor, but I think that's where breakdancing came from originally. These Brazilians moved to New York City and they kind of took a lot of the moves because they're very similar and they just turned them into dance kind of moves type of things. Oh, very cool. Yeah. The more you know, some trivia from the DIY recording yep. guys. Okay, cool. <laughs> what's, uh, what's our episode about? So today, we're maybe going to get off the beaten path of DIY and recording a little bit, but I think this topic... Oh, no. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. We're getting into some murky waters here, but there's an elephant in the room, and that elephant is loudness. And I'm actually kind of shocked. I went and looked back through our catalog the other day, and I was a little bit shocked that we're approaching 50 episodes, and we've talked about gain staging, but not really loudness at all. And I think it's something that has to be talked about, you know, uh, and I'll get into later why maybe it's not the big, as big of a deal as people make it. But I can remember whenever I first started learning about this audio and first started learning how to mix and that kind of a thing. And the first question that came into my mind was questions like these. Well, how, lo how loud should my song be whenever I go to release it? Or how do I know if my songs are loud enough? Or how can I get my song to be even louder? <laughs> That's the big one there. <laughs> right, right, right. If you're out there listening and you've had any of those questions yourself, then you've come to the right place because we're going to tackle all of these right here in this episode. Yes, you're right. It probably is overdue. I, I don't think it's off the beaten path, my man. It's, uh, you know, we've, we've done two episodes somewhat recently on mastering. And this is obviously mm. one of the big questions that comes up in mastering. And I can tell you, if you're anything like me, my first experience with, with, with this was as a teenager and my first quote unquote serious band, but my first band where we were recording music. And, you know, we recorded these songs. We thought they were great. We mixed them, which meant just moving the faders around. <laughs> right, right. And then somebody, the drummer was like, we should get these songs mastered. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, what does that do? What does mastering do? And he was like, well, it makes things louder. And that's where I got my uh -huh. first confusion with loudness came in was I was like, well, I have a volume knob that yeah. makes things louder. Why would I pay somebody to make things louder? So it is a, it is an interesting topic and one that's had an interesting and controversial evolution throughout, uh, well, throughout the era of digital recording, as we will get into. Mm -hmm. And it's recently taken kind of, I would say, de-escalation steps, which we will get into as well. So um, maybe to start, do you want to just start by talking about what is loudness? Like, what do we even yes. mean when we talk about loudness? Yeah, and I don't have a dictionary definition, so... I have three things written down here, and after I'm done, please jump in and add or, or take away from anything that I say. But when I was thinking about this question today, what is loudness? The three things that come to mind are, first, and maybe most purely, loudness is how close we can get our music, or our music to the digital ceiling, that zero um, decibels full scale. Uh, this is how loud we can get the average of our, our music volume to that level. And 
we can talk about that maybe a little bit more later. What what does that mean by average? But for sake, just remember that we're talking about the average volume of our song or our instrument track that we recorded, and we're not talking about the peak level. And that'll come into importance later, but remember that, average. The second thing is loudness can be measured using a bunch of different methods out there. And the top three I've seen, there are more than this. The top three are RMS or root mean square, LUFS, loudness, loudness units full scale, or VU, like a VU meter. And I actually don't know what that stands for. Volume units? I don't know. Yeah, that's a kind of generic non Useful. It's oh, only gotcha. useful as a reference. But anyway, keep going. Yes. So you might have heard of those before or maybe even used them. Um, and we'll get more into that later, what those specifically are. And the third thing is, whenever I'm thinking about this question, what is loudness? Uh, it is also helpful to determine whether we're talking about absolute loudness or perceived loudness. And that's kind of the difference between RMS and LUFS. Because you can have something that's really loud, but doesn't sound loud to our ears. And maybe a good way of mm. thinking about this is, think about uh, if you can remember going to live shows when those were still a thing. <laughs> think about... Barely. Yeah. If you ever went to a live show and you stood in front of a subwoofer, just imagine the feeling of the kick drum or the bass guitar when it's moving the clothes on your body because it's so loud. <laughs> but yet you're standing in front of it, maybe without earplugs on, and you're like, that feels cool, but it's bearable. Versus the piercing sound of an infant crying or screaming. And how that's obviously not at the same volume as that concert venue is, but somehow the infant screaming is so much more annoying and sounds so much louder to our ears. And that's what I mean whenever we're talking about absolute loudness versus perceived loudness. That's great, man. That's a that's a great analogy you had at the end there. Uh, but you really you really jumped us right into the deep end here. <laughs> you really you got you said the word root mean square when we haven't even we have we just started here. <laughs> so, yeah, no, those are those are all great explanations and I liked your kind of three ways to think about loudness. I'm going to even back up a little bit further and just let's talk a little bit about like we talked about in the bitrate episode. Pretend you just have like something you recorded, right? And you can turn the fader up and it'll get louder. And yeah. you can keep turning the fader up and it'll keep getting louder and louder and louder, but eventually you'll start to get clipping. And clipping as we know is like as our waveform as we push it louder and louder, it kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger visually if you were to visualize it. And eventually those peaks start to cross our clip ceiling, which is, you know, digital zero, we call it, right? Mm -hmm. Once those peaks start kind of going above that digital zero, you get this clipping effect. If it's subtle, you may not even notice it. But if you start clipping too much of the waveforms, you start getting this kind of distortion, uh, which is typically unpleasant, although it does have some use in some cases. Mm -hmm. So that's where, like, you start to say, okay, well, I have the signal and now it's clipping, so I can't push the fader up anymore. Can I still make it louder? And this is where you get into what you said. It's peaks versus the average or yes. the RMS of that waveform. So you could picture like our waveform, it's all squiggly. It has peaks at the top and the, at the bottom. Or if you kind of mathematically added up all those values, you could come up with some average. 
And a common way to do this is by taking the root mean squared, which is just a mathematical term for taking the average of something. It's one way to take an average. And that root mean square value would be somewhere. It would be lower than the peaks, but it would be, you know, somewhere somewhere below the peak, between the peaks and um, our neutral axis, so to speak, yeah. right? Yeah. And so it turns out that even if we had two signals that both had the same peaks, let's say they were peaking right at zero, one could still be louder, perceived louder than the other if its average value, if its RMS value was higher than the other waveform. So even though they have the same peaks, we could get one to be louder than the other. That's kind of how, how I like to think about it. Yeah, that's, gr- that's great. Cool. So now that we have that, what's, what's next on your list? I, I didn't have time to look at your notes. So oh, that's fine. No, you, me through it. you segued right into it pretty perfectly. Um, awesome. So the next thing I guess we could talk about is now that we kind of have our, an idea of what loudness is, I guess the next question is, well, how do we go about making something louder? And you immediately touched on the first thing and the most obvious thing is to just turn up the gain knob on whether we're playing back music in the car. You could turn up the, the volume knob on your car, which is essentially turning up the gain on your amplifier and just making the whole track louder. You could do the same thing when you're recording. You could turn up the gain uh, input knob on your preamp or interface, and it'll raise the volume of what you're recording. But oftentimes that's not enough, or we run into the situation where you talked about where we start getting close to that digital ceiling or going over it and clipping. So are we stuck there, or is there something else that we can do? Well, this is where it kind of starts getting convoluted and the trick to this is well the first trick that we can do to make things louder is by compressing things and essentially what compression is is you're telling whatever audio signal that's coming in you're you're telling whatever input audio signal i'm getting i want to reduce the volume output by this certain ratio and I don't know if you guys have ever seen a digital compressor that has a ratio knob on it. Oftentimes it'll have one to one, which is no compression. For every one decibel of increased input, you're getting one decibel of uh, increased output. We go to one to two ratio for every, or two to one, I should say, sorry. For every two, two decibels of increased audio, we're getting only one decibel of output audio. So it's decreasing by 50% or by a two to one ratio. So essentially what's happening here is um, when we compress something like that, we're making the peaks and the average level of the music closer to one another. And in turn, that gives us more headroom or more room from our loudest peaks of the music or the individual instrument that we're recording away from zero. And that gives us more room that we can actually turn up the gain and make those instruments louder. Anything to add to that? It was actually episode nine, which was bitrate. Episode nine is a bitrate episode. Mm. On that episode, we talked about dynamic range, which is the difference between kind of the loudest peak, the loudest part of the song, to the quietest part of the song. That's the dynamic range. And so... We have some waveform. Let's say our peak peaks are touching zero. We can't turn that up anymore because it'll clip. So Ben, what you're saying is you can kind of compress that waveform 
what that's doing is taking the peaks and kind of reducing them. Mm -hmm. But now it lets you turn the whole track up using the volume fader or your output gain, right? Which I guess is maybe what you meant. So maybe I'm I was nitpicky there. So <laughs> then, then what now you can now you can your 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 dynamic range has decreased because your peaks are closer to your valleys. Yes. But you can turn the whole waveform up. And now with those peaks touching zero again, your average volume or your average level has actually increased and it's going to seem louder. Exactly. So the question becomes then, well, why can't we just infinitely compress all music so that we can get it louder and louder and louder? But the problem with that comes in just how it's perceived being played back. Is it is it still musical? Is it still well, natural let's even, sounding? Let's even go back before that. Like, let's say I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, like, why would I want to make it louder at all? Because the good listener question. can. I'm listening in my car. I have a volume knob and two good hands with which to crank it. So why would a person making a song or record even want to get louder? I can think of a couple reasons. I'm kind of flying off the cuff here a little bit, but two reasons I would think of is. A great example is driving in the car. You've got all of this road noise and surrounding environment noise. And if the music you're playing in your car, whether that's on the radio or MP3 or Bluetooth, whatever you're doing, to compete with that environmental noise, the more compressed all the music is, the more you can have like that average volume just kind of... Hmm rise above everything else that's happening around you. I've actually had this problem before when I first was mixing music because I had a really wide dynamic range on a lot of the mixes that I was doing. I would go play it on the car and go on a drive and I realized that, oh man, the quietest parts of this song are just disappearing when, oh, I'm, dr yeah. when I'm driving in the car. And that's also another reason why radio stations, they additionally compress music whenever they're broadcasting so they're even right. more compressed than the cds so that's the first reason the second reason reason is i think a better artistic example but music just sounds better when the dynamic range is reduced everything just glues a lot better together in a listening environment versus just you know a live band playing it back i like the sound of that compression it can be musical so those are mm -hmm. my two reasons that i would give Okay. Yeah, I think those are good reasons. Um, we probably all experienced this because some records are very dynamic. And you may have, have experienced this in the car where like the verse is too quiet and then the chorus is like a normal volume. And so that's that can be a little bit frustrating. And so mm -hmm. yeah, decreasing that dynamic range can definitely even those things out a little bit. Another reason I could think of is, well, let's maybe get into just one quick example here. And I don't want to give it away too much, but I'm going to play two clips of a fading light tune. Do it. And you guys listening to this can decide which version you like better. Do you want to introduce this song, by the way? Sure. This is the first track off of our album, Array from the Sun. This is called I Will. It's the first song that I finished mixing. And it's also probably the most intense song. A lot of stuff happening at the same time. So cool. Yeah, let's check it out. I have two versions of this. I'm going to start playing one and I'm going to switch to the other one and kind of switch back and forth a bit. So here we go. And it's the hardest thing I 
Which one did you like better, A or B? Are you asking me or are you asking the listeners? <laughs> Both. It's a hypothetical. <laughs> it's a rhetorical <laughs> yeah. question for the listeners. Yeah, you. I mean, you know the answer. So clearly, you know, if you're listening to this, we kind of gave away the answer. But B sounds a little bit better. It sounds a little bit f- kind of fuller and more present. I could just, I could feel a little more power out of the guitars, I feel like. And... So what's the difference between these two? Well, literally the only difference is that B, we turned up one decibel, all right? So in other words, we backed off the headroom. We, we backed off the volume enough that there was headroom to make things louder. And then version B was just one decibel louder than version A. And I'm saying A and B, uh, this is a track I duplicated, but not the same A and B uh, gotcha. nomenclatures that you had. Yeah, that's crazy too, because... I didn't know that you were going to do this example right there, so it totally threw me off. And it felt like to me that B had more mid-range and high-end information in it, even though they're exactly the same. Yeah, interesting, right? It feels like more energetic. Mm -hmm. And so there's this psychoacoustic effect. We can get into some of the reasons why. You mentioned one of them when you started talking about LUFS or LUFS. But there's a psychoacoustic effect where we think that things that are louder, for some reason, are a little bit better. And so before we get into what the ramifications of this psychoacoustic effect were on the industry, I think you have, um, first of all, if you want to talk about why that is, some of the reasons why that is. And second of all, I think you had a pretty cool story that you told me offline that maybe this would be a good time. Yeah, I'll share uh, share the story. I don't remember what this effect is called. I think you just mentioned it before we were live. Yes, it's uh, Fletch, Fletcher Munson. Fletcher Munson. Fletcher Munson is the curve. Yeah, that's, that's the yeah. curve that describes the effect. So essentially, things at lower decibel levels, uh, our ears are really sensitive to, well, our ears kind of perceive, if we're thinking across the frequency spectrum, our ears naturally kind of have this U-shape to how we pick up frequencies. Like we can hear really low subby things um, decently well, and then more high-pitched things, like above one kilohertz or maybe even higher than that. Our ears are kind of sensitive to that. But at lower volume, all that mid-range information is kind of harder to hear. And the louder that... Which is that- interesting, by the way. I just want to spike out there that uh, one of the reasons for, for that could be the fact that what you already said, which is that like our ears are tuned for like children screaming and babies crying because that's (laughs) an evolutionary advantage to be able to hear your, you know, infant child crying from, you know, kind of be tuned to that frequency. So yeah, it's very interesting. Um, But the louder that a sound source becomes, even though it's the same exact one, the more our ears kind of, they level off and they can perceive all the frequency spectrum 
Well, I guess the sensitivity becomes very kind of neutral across the whole frequency spectrum is what I'm trying to say. It becomes flatter. It becomes becomes flatter. And I think what winds up happening is, so if you think about what that means, if you're listening to music in a live setting, your ears are more able to hear everything that's going on if they're more sensitive the whole way across the bandwidth. Whereas if something's quieter, you're really trying hard to listen you're not hearing most of the mid-range information that's happening. So the louder you turn it up, the more your ears are actually hearing everything that's happening the whole way across the frequency bandwidth. And so that makes sense then why we would like things more. There's actually more to hear whenever it's louder. Yeah, it's more balanced, absolutely. So yeah, tell me tell me your, uh, your story. Yeah, so at my day job, we record audio conferences. It's very boring. But... <laughs> <laughs> But, still recording, man. It's still recording. Yeah, it's so it's still recording. And we had this one situation where we record onto these basically audio interfaces we call bridges, and they host a lot. They're able to host a lot of phone conversations at one time. Well, we have one bridge that uh, tops out at eight eight kilohertz sample rate, and then we have another one that's twice the sample rate, sixteen kilohertz. So it's essentially twice the quality, or you get twice the fidelity out of that bridge. Mm. Well, we had one client that was convinced that the lower the lower quality bridge sounded better. And just from looking at the numbers or thinking about it practically, I was like, there's no way that's true. So we did a recording test where the client recorded something on one bridge and then recorded something on the other bridge. And then I sent both files off to them. And after listening to it, the client came back and they said, for sure that this bridge here was higher quality. And I thought to myself, that can't be true because they picked the <laughs> the 8 kilohertz sample bridge as the better quality one versus the 16 kilohertz. And I was trying to rack my brain as to why this client could possibly think this without just being brain dead. I mean, that's what I really wanted to think is that this client was an idiot. But I was trying to think, what are they hearing about this? is making them think this is higher quality. And then I thought to myself, I wonder if these record at different volume levels. That was the Mm. one thing that hadn't occurred to me. And sure enough, when I went back and I checked the recordings, the lower quality, eight kilohertz bridge, records audio three decibels louder than the higher definition bridge. So they essentially picked the lower quality recording as sounding better just because it was three decibels louder when it's actually half the sample rate of the other one. Amazing, isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah. I wonder where it breaks down for like our world whenever we do mastering, but I wonder if you could send a client something at half the sample rate of like CD quality, like 22 kilohertz, but it's just (laughs) two decibels louder and they pick it as a better master. That's funny. I mean, I do tell people all the time when they're comparing things, the only way to properly compare things is to level match them. And again, you might think about two different masters. They both might be peaking at the same level. And yet, like we already explained, one can be perceived louder than the other. So when you level match these things, you can use meters to some extent, but it's actually better to just use your ears and adjust the volume, take the louder one and pull the fader down till they sound about the same 
level of loudness. And then you can get kind of an honest comparison of like, what are the dynamics like of this master or mix and so on? Because yeah, you can absolutely get fooled. And especially with mastering, because the file you send for mastering almost by definition is going to be quieter than the file you get back. So you might put, put on that master and be like, yeah, this slaps as the kids say, but yeah. <laughs> But it may not be true to the mix, right? So that level matching process becomes very important. So one of the things that happened was, you already mentioned commercial radio, right? Yeah. Radio plays multiple songs kind of in a row from different bands. And, and maybe you had an old CD changer in your car like I did that could hold multiple CDs. Or still do. Or still do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my current car only has one CD slot. But anyway, so what was happening was you might be listening to one song on the radio or you know, one CD and then another CD comes on or another track comes on on your mix CD. And all of a sudden it's, way, it's louder and it sounds better. And you're like, hmm, this band sounds better than the other yeah. band because yeah. your ears are lying to you. And so what happened was people through maybe from 1997 or 8 up through recently up through maybe 2018 I'd say the two, may, yeah yeah i would say even two, 2010 was whenever it was really bad and started leveling that's off when after it that peaked that's yeah. when it peaked yeah something called the loudness war happened where mix engineers and mastering engineers kept trying to push stuff louder and louder and louder because of this effect because they thought this is going to make my artist's song sound artificially a little bit better than the next song. And I still, like, I'll periodically reference music from, yeah. that, from that era, especially, like, some new metal stuff. You know? Oh, yeah. I'll put in the CDs and I'm like, oh, my God, this is just <laughs> smashed to oblivion. And that was the game. And so there was a lot of people kind of dissenting against this where they were like, this is too much. Like, we can't keep pushing stuff louder and louder. And we'll talk about why in a second because you started talking about it before. Like, why, do, why, why can't we? Why can't we just max it out? Yeah. Well, there's some reasons why we may not want to. So this kind of kept escalating and then eventually kind of leveled off to the point now where it's becoming less, almost a non-issue, although it's still something we need to think about. So maybe take us from there i guess let's start with like what are we sacrificing why wouldn't we just do this trick where we compress the peaks and let's compress them all the way let's compress them right to the average and then just bring our level way way up and have a slamming loud song there's a couple interesting can't think of the word ramifications there's a couple ramifications that happen whenever we start pulling things up to that level and you especially can hear this in r&b hip-hop edm styles of music with a lot of bass sub bass type of information in it but the louder you push stuff like that the more the limiter or the compressor that you have on that music to, to get it louder it starts to suck power out of that low end that all that low end energy can't can't be in there and loud at the same time um that's one thing that happens the other thing that happens too is and probably more importantly actually you start to lose this important thing called dynamics mm. and more than anything else the dynamics are what actually make your music sound punchy and fun 
And so we're, we're battling two different things in, um, in our perception of the music. And I actually think dynamics are harder to perceive than the loudness effect. And that's mm. why the loudness war kind of took off the way that it did. Because instantaneously, uh, if you compress something and make it louder, our first initial reaction is this is better. But when you level match them and compare them, I would almost guarantee you across the board, most people would think the more dynamic thing sounds better. Because that punchiness sounds good and is appealing. But if you hear a piece of music that has drums or even a vocal line that's supposed to move around and ebb and flow a little bit, but it's just the same consistent volume the whole time. Like the hi-hat hit is the same volume as the kick drum and snare. And they don't sound like they have any impact at all. You just hear the sound happen. But it's just the same <laughs> level the whole way across. And I actually had to bring up the album because I just started thinking about this. Uh, I think it's Death Magnetic by Metallica. That is like mm, yes. one of the most overcompressed albums of all time. It's so compressed. If you listen to the first song, and I did this just recently, but if you listen to the first song, there is an intro like arpeggiated guitar with mild like distortion on it and it's clipping over the limiter it's so loud yes and there's that that is the most egregious one of the most egregious examples and actually what's funny is that the mastering engineer who mastered that swears that it was already clipped to hell when he got it really mastering Ugh. yeah yeah they who it was uh i think did rick rubin produce that one did he? I'm going to look it up now. I have to. Look it up. There yeah. you, Rick. But they, there was a decision they made to just uh, to push everything to ungodly levels. And that was like, that one is one of the ones that people really, really started protesting about. The first one, in, interestingly That was 2008, enough, by the way. 2008, yeah. Yeah. It the, the, the first album that, who was it? Oh, uh, I thought it was going to say Rick Rubin. No. Wait, hold on. It was no. I like Rick Rubin. It was Rick Rubin? Too. Yeah, it was Rick yeah. Rubin. Yeah, I mean, he's phenomenal. He's one of the, the, yeah. the great, greatest music producers of all time. But yeah, I guess because um, everybody hated on the mastering engineer, they were like, "Why did you do this?" And he was like, "It wasn't me. <laughs> it was already like this when I got it." So, um, but one of the first albums where people started protesting this, I think the album that may have unofficially kicked off the loudness war. Do you know what it is? Is it Californication? By the Red yeah. Chili Peppers, yeah, it is true. It's very compressed. It is, but like I remember as a kid. I mean, I was you know I was like in eighth grade when that came out, and um, I I liked it. I know I don't remember at that time. I didn't have any kind of ear for anything except yeah. you know what I like to listen to, and I don't remember being like appalled by it. Um, years later, now when I listen back to it, yeah, I was like, okay, I can I can see what people are talking about. There's a lot um, of like the only way I can describe that now, and I I have. I have the same memory of that. I still love that record. I think it sounds yeah. great. But when your ears are kind of more trained to it now, going back and listening, I hear a lot of like sucking type of effects. Like it's almost like the breathing in between the words like is so loud because the compressor is just <laughs> so hammered on that. It, it's amazing, but yes, in not a good yes. way. <laughs> and, and you mentioned, you started talking about like what makes stuff punchy. Just think about what a drum is doing. You have this pristine silence and then you have this smack transient of a drum like yeah. it's that sharp transient that really makes that drum smack if you kind of really 
tone that peak down if you if you turn that peak down well it would it wouldn't be as punchy by definition like those transients are what make a dr- uh, drum punchy and likewise in a mix if we smash a mix we start losing some of that again dynamic range and it's going to shave off some of our transients and kind of smear them which can be pleasant to a degree because we don't want things that are too spiky but yeah. if you overdo it then you lose punchiness and everything kind of just starts to sound like mush that's yeah. one reason. Another reason you mentioned is that the limiter can or compressor can like suck energy out of the low end, which is definitely true. And I would say you can even start getting uh, artifacts where you start getting like these weird distortions. The sound's not clipping because that's what the limiter does. It prevents you from clipping, but it's still it's still getting um, jittery or kind of like... Yeah flubby right it starts to fart out like if you have like a kick drum it'll start to kind of fart out a little bit you know what's notorious for me that does that kind of stuff what's that toms you have like a heavy tom Mm. part the toms will just Mm -hmm. sound like garbage yes and i think it's it's probably because the kick drum would do it but kick tends to be really subby and you probably can't hear it on the clicky top end but toms are so mid-range heavy that Mm. i think it shows up more yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the other thing is like you mentioned it with with breaths on a vocal. When something is over compressed, the breaths are super loud. They're as loud as like the screaming part. <laughs> yeah, and and also um, that can sometimes be appropriate. But also like cymbals, if you like really compress cymbals, they just sound like washy and like garbagey, and there's just mm-hmm. no space for anything to breathe, and stuff just starts to get yeah, just bloated and sloppy. It's um, it's no good. It's like turning the you know the con the the uh, contrast way down on your computer monitor or whatever, and then like cranking the color, it's just gonna look like a mess. <laughs> We've kind of gone around and talked about loudness, how to make things louder, and maybe maybe some of the ramifications of making your music louder, why it might not be good. And I'm glad we talked about it, but I also want to throw something else out there too. Like, does this ultimately really matter? And I think that like. This topic has to be talked about because it's such a convoluted thing. And I really wanted to talk about it on this podcast because even if you don't care anything about ever mixing or producing or mastering your own music, I want to have our listeners able to know how to judge something coming back to them from a mix and master engineer, to know Mm. what to do with it, to know how to compare mixes and masters from maybe different... um, different studios if they send out their song that they've worked super hard on um to all these different studios to get back and compare all these mixes and masters together we want to let you guys know how to stack them up next to each other to be able to determine you know what's what's the best sound that we're going for right and so i had this analogy i was working on earlier and i work so hard and i have to i have to talk about it in the episode (laughs) (laughs) okay all right all right yeah, so bear with me here. Loudness is to audio with the Higgs boson is the physics. And I know I might have lost you. Just let me go with it here. But <laughs> so people with a peripheral knowledge of the topic thinks that loudness is the God particle, <laughs> like the Higgs boson is. But it's really just another complementary part of the whole producing audio process or the standard model of physics. So <laughs> I just felt so proud of that. I had to share. I know. But, I know. I'm going to let you do it. Go. Yes. So now that I've alienated everybody, 
I have to explain a little bit of the standard model of physics just so that that oh, makes Jesus. sense. All right, all right. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Here we go. It'll it. be really quick. So all this means is, and it's actually very cool, but now we've pretty much proved that this Higgs boson exists. That is something that phys- physicists are really excited about, and it helps complete their standard model of physics, which I really know nothing about. I'm just fascinated by science, so I follow these topics. But somebody with a lot of knowledge like in experimental physics, he dubbed this theoretical particle the God particle, not because it proves God or because of any of these things, but because everybody was making such a big deal about it. He called it kind of tongue-in-cheek the God particle because Mm. people were making such a big deal over a small part of the standard model that explains the whole world around us. And I think that's very true of loudness whenever we talk about it in audio production. It tends to just kind of obsess everybody whenever we talk about mixing and mastering but really at the end of the day i just don't think it matters that much like it's something important to know about but it's only one part of this whole process of creating good music and i want to prove it to you guys too so with that same song i have Mm. three different versions that i want to play back to back and i won't tell you anything about them but okay just listen to all three and then we'll what do you want to do? What's different. A, B, C, A, and just like a couple times through? Yeah, exactly. So we'll All go right. A, B, C, A, B, C. All right, here's A. Talk about it a little bit, and then we'll replay kind of the the punchline. Okay, so first of all, we played these examples. Which one did you like the best? And I'm asking the audience, you know, which one did you like the best, or did you think have, in particular, the most punch, the most energy in it? And I would venture to say you probably liked A or B the most. To me, C sounded like it kind of was a little bit Less energy, more like everything was overcompressed. And essentially that is what I did with all these songs. So B, the middle one, was actually what we wound up releasing out into the world. Something I would consider moderately compressed or limited. A is a very dynamic version of that mix. So it's actually four decibels more dynamic than B. And then... C, it doesn't kind of line up in a linear way, but C is about three decibels more compressed than B is. And so I think you can hear these are all level matched at the same volume. Now, if they, if I hadn't level matched them, C would be way louder or appear way louder than B would appear way louder than A. So if you just heard mm-hmm. them at their normal volumes, everybody across the board would say, oh, C is the best master by far but whenever you volume match them and compare them apples to apples together 
then I think you can hear that the more dynamic one has the more energy in it. So I guess we could play it one more time, just A, B, C. Yeah, I'm just gonna do, I'm just gonna do uh, A and C back to back. So that's a good one. Really... Yeah. All right, check it out. Super interesting, um, especially on like, uh, the, like the chugga chugga part, yeah. And also just on some of the big kick hits on the one. Mm-hmm. Uh, version A is just the kick is like it's meaningful, it's there. And on version C, it's kind of it's kind of there, but it's not punching through the mix in the same way. And same thing with the snare. I would. Oh I yeah, it. mm-hmm. it's a very interesting thing to talk about because. Depending on your listening environment, you're not going to be able to hear these things because all the parts are there. Parts aren't changing. It's the perceived punchiness of the masters. And so like if you're in a car, I'm sure you can hear even in the guitars, but especially in the bass and the kick drum, all of those kick patterns are super punchy in version A. But in C that's compressed, like you're going to notice that those parts just aren't hitting you in the chest the way that they the way that version A is. What does this all mean now that we've kind of put this together? And I think it means really that like loudness is overhyped. And the next thing I want to get into, and and I'll let you finish your thought first before we go into it, but just to foreshadow, we'll talk about how loud music should be and then what the streaming platforms are doing with normalization to kind of counteract the loudness wars. Yeah, I think that's a great place to go. So yeah, the only thing I was going to add was... um you know, I, again, I always think about like listening to music with my wife, who's very musical ear, but she doesn't have this kind of tuned ear. And there, you know, you might be thinking to yourself, like, will my people listening to my music actually be able to tell something is punchier, or is this just me sitting with my eyes closed, concentrating really hard, point. being able to tell? And to some extent, there's something to that. But when people listen to music, they are perceiving some kind of emotion and some kind of energy. And even though they may not be able to tell you this one is punchier than that one, or they may not be able to explain to you what dynamic range is or any of this stuff, there is a level of like energy carried by dynamics that leads to conveying emotions a little bit better that people may not be able to explain to you, but they will feel it. So it's really about you know using your judgment to say like, what am I going for here? Am I going for like a really punchy, punchy, chuggy part? And if that's what you're trying to convey, the listeners will get that, even though they may not be able to verbalize it the way that we're able to verbalize it because we're nerding out on this stuff. That's a really great point, Vadim. Glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. Okay, so where do we go from here? Um, and I guess what we should talk about is why the loudness wars are kind of dying off. And really, we have to think streaming for this. I think this might still be true where, well, I know it's for sure true that YouTube is still the number one way that people discover music, at least with millennials, because the radio, I think so. Yeah. I know that the radio is still big, but YouTube is huge 
it's a huge um I guess mm. you would even call it streaming platform, which is weird because it's not kind of uh built as that, but there are tons of artists that have their music up on YouTube and people use it as kind of that kind of as the new blog music blog for discovering things. Mm. And what YouTube and Spotify and is it Apple Music? Is that their streaming service? Mm-hmm. SoundCloud is the one exception to this, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, what they've all done is they've instituted this normalization of audio. And the reason, it's also an interesting reason to talk about why this is. Um, and I think a big reason why they've instituted normalization, which is volume matching the average loudness of all these songs to be at the same level. I think the reason that they've done this is because albums have kind of gone by the wayside and now we just have playlists. Playlists are the new albums. I heard somebody say that one time. Uh, And so I hate that. I do too. But in, (laughs) in some ways though, it's kind of helped with this loudness thing where somebody will go from an Ariana Grande song to, I'm not sure who this person is, but they'll go from that song to a Metallica song. And, <laughs> and I'm not sure if that person exists out there actually, but you get, you get the point, like two completely different genres, probably two different dynamic ideas for what the bands wanted in their final versions. Mm. But what these streaming platforms are doing is they're saying, I want the listener, the user to have a very pleasant listening experience so we're going to turn down the super loud Metallica song to have it match the the sweet, luscious R&B grooves of Ariana Grande and Alicia Keys. Mm. So they're volume matching everything where we go from one song to the next and everything sounds like it's at the same volume. So you don't have to turn down your volume knob or turn it up constantly because that would just be annoying. Right. But what that also means is that there's no benefit any longer in making your music louder because it's not going to sound better by default than the other stuff that's out there. Yes, totally agree. So now we're saying like before people were willing to sacrifice dynamic range to get louder because they thought, oh, it'll sound louder. People, people just think it sounds better because it's louder. Well, now everything's being turned down anyway. So now you've sacrificed your dynamic range for nothing. Because it's going to get turned down anyway. Yeah. So that's good news because it means you can keep more of your dynamic range and you don't have to kind of sell your soul to the devil here and fight this battle of like, I got to get louder to match everybody's. Like, no, you just have to get to a reasonable level and you can still keep a lot of your dynamic range in play. Now, the one thing I will say is that while I think almost all of the streaming services do have algorithms which turn music down, most of them do not turn music up. So yeah. you can still risk being too quiet and still being quieter than Ariana Grande, which might be fine, but you do want to be conscious of this. And maybe when you're referencing your music, try to reference a song that has been made in the last five years and uh, you know get to a comparable kind of loudness level just so you're in the ballpark, I would say. Now, just to throw some numbers out there to go off of that, I have them in front of me, but you can look them up easily on the internet. Um, This information is readily available. So Apple Soundcheck, which is what they, I'm sure they use this for the streaming platform as well, but that's also what they 
put certified Apple songs on their iTunes. Mm. Um, they normalize it, negative 16 LUFS. Now, LUFS is just basically another way of saying RMS, but compensated for what our ears are sensitive to. So you can, in your, in your brain, just uh, substitute LUFS with uh, RMS. They're essentially similar or the same. But you're saying minus 16 is what they're Minus 16, yes. They're the lowest one. So a lower number means more dynamic range because we're talking negative 16 away from zero. If zero is our peak, the loudest we could possibly get something, that means we have a range of 16 decibels of dynamics that we can have. You got to be careful here because I've run into this where like, I actually, I don't know enough about this to, to talk about it, but not all even RMS scales are equal. That is true. That is true. You have to make sure that what you're monitoring, and I actually have a good tool for that that I'll mention in here. Um, you have to make sure that your analyzers that you're using are calibrated to, I guess, the standard scale. Um, because RMS in particular is the tricky one, and I think it has to do with the weighting averages that they use. Yes. But uh, they're either directly on or they're off by three decibels. I think it's one or the other. But an easy way to determine if your music's going to be too compressed and going to be turned down is just go to this website, www.loudnesspenalty.com, it's set up by Ian Shepard, who run, runs a great website called Production Advice, and who I've learned a lot. I've listened to talk a lot about the loudness wars and loudness and mastering, but mostly loudness. That's kind of his big topic that he talks about yeah. a lot. Um, but the website is super cool because if you just go to that and then drag your song right into the browser, it will tell you immediately what each of the platforms will do. It'll tell you how much each one will turn it down by. And that's essentially why it's called loudness penalty. It's how much are you going to be penalized for um, crushing the hell out of your song (laughs) with limiting and compression. So that's a a definite, um, an objective way that you can determine what, what loudness you're shooting for is. The one thing that I found, let me just get through these really quick here. So Apple Soundcheck is negative 16. Title and Spotify are negative 14, LUFS. YouTube is negative 13, and SoundCloud does not currently have normalization, I believe. I think you can engage it, but by default it's set to off, which means loudness wars are still in full effect on SoundCloud. (laughs) Yeah, but SoundCloud, aren't the, um, unless you're paying for it, aren't the MP3s like lower quality anyway? Aren't they they 128? Yeah, they are. Yeah, I've listened to like my own mixes that artists have put up on SoundCloud and I'm like, I hate it. I'm terrible at mixing. And then I'll <laughs> Yeah. Well, it may not good... maybe it's true, but it may not be completely true. That's a good point too. I think it's even lower quality that, than that for streaming. Cuz that's what it's uploaded as, but they will downgrade the streaming quality if you're not getting like SoundCloud will be on oh, 128. Yeah. Uh-huh. Man, That's what I've I'm, heard. I'm glad to hear that. Yes. I've always like, I have such a negative connotation and association with SoundCloud because like I said, I'll just, artists that 
I worked with on their mix, I'll like click the link and I'm like, ah, man, it's just garbage. It's not just you. It's all of us. <laughs> all of us that are up all there. All right. That's good. That's good. It's good to hear. So one thing, and I, I want to hear your thoughts on this too, but I normally don't have a problem with getting things loud enough. And I don't know if this is, I'm actually very curious if this is a reflection on the era that I grew up in, because really when I was super getting into music was the early 2000s, like right at the beginning of the loudness wars. And I wonder mm. if because I lived through all of that, I just tend to like a little bit more compression and limiting than mm. maybe even these. And I, I do think this is a good thing. I think that having more dynamics in the streaming services is a better thing for music in general. But what I find myself is, is I almost never will get ready to upload something to a streaming service and not have them say that, oh, your music's going to get turned down. It's too loud. Yeah, I would say I'm in the same ballpark. I don't, my goal is to maintain, really not sacrifice anything in dynamics when I get to my limiter. So in other words, I've given up dynamics through compression I've done throughout my mix. But once I get to my limiter, my goal is to not sacrifice anything. And I've never really had a hard time getting stuff loud enough for streaming with that mindset. That's a good point. I think my my goal might be a little bit different in mastering than you and with well, yeah, the because limiter. You, I mean, you're mixing you're you're mixing into your limiter a lot, which, yeah. which is a very valid way to do it. Um, so yeah, that's a different approach, I guess. Yeah, I just wondered about that, but yeah, I think that where the streaming services have set their normalization, like it pretty much makes loudness like a non. <laughs> like a non-issue anymore. Like, and, and I also want to say, I definitely think it's valid to mix and master and release music that's louder and will get penalized. Like we did that with the fading light stuff and I did that knowingly. I yep. limited it to that level because I thought that it sounded the best and most glued at that level. And, and I plus am, you guys also, uh, you guys also printed, um, pressed CDs, right? So a different medium also. that's true you're, you're yeah expecting you're people to yeah you're consuming music in a different yeah exactly so that's i definitely think that's a valid way of doing things and and when i'm mixing and mastering music i'm pretty much 100 percent using my ears to figure out what that loudness level should be because i can totally see something that's way laid back being falling more around that negative 12 luffs or RMS mm. and then other super intense. I, I'm actually not sure. I'm, I want to bring that up again, but that uh, EDM master that I did for Mr. Yuck, I'm pretty sure I'm hitting like negative, at least negative six or negative five. That one was with loud. That. Yeah. Well, appropriately so, but yeah, that, I mean that, that genre tends to be louder too, but I even, um, one of my favorite, one of my my favorite albums recently, and I think one of the best mixed albums I've heard recently. I know we've talked about this before. Is uh, "Sound and Color" by the Alabama Shakes. Oh I think yeah, it's just a wonderfully mixed album. That album is so freaking loud. That's crazy because I, I I I pull it up to reference it, and it, it's hitting like on my meters. I my meters I'm aiming for like minus eight, and that album is hitting like minus four, minus three. Are you kidding and me? And it sounds good though. Like 
I don't know what kind of magic they use there, but it sounds nice to me. So <laughs> I don't know. That's still like the remnant. You'll still run into albums that especially are geared for CD distribution. You'll still see hitting like crazy loudness levels. But interestingly enough, I was talking to a band recently about they're, they're going to have their stuff mastered for vinyl. And I was talking to the mastering engineer about that. And he was like, telling me, yeah, you know, for vinyl mastering, you got to turn stuff way down because you have these physical limitations of cutting the groove in the record. And he said, the longer the songs are, the actual quieter you have to go because physically you're running out of real estate. (laughs) If you think about like cutting those grooves. So, and he, he was explaining this to me and I'm thinking to myself like, yeah, I don't care about loudness on vinyl at all because there's no <laughs> risk when I'm listen when I'm listening to my vinyl record there's no risk that another <laughs> song will suddenly come on like I'm listening to that record I can just adjust the volume you know you know I just imagine somebody like running down the street with a vinyl record strapped to their back you know in a vinyl player like that's never going to happen like <laughs> it's just so interesting yeah. to think about like what happened with the loudness wars and how it was uh just a side effect of where people were even listening to music because CDs were the first time that music was, well, I guess mm. audio cassettes, but CDs, they were way more um, mobile because before with a vinyl, it was so delicate. Like you sat down in your living room and you listened to music in a quiet setting. Right. So it didn't matter as much for it to be compressed, but when radio happened and then people were driving around in their cars or in a loud factory well to be able to hear music the same way it just had to be super compressed so it's just interesting how things have kind of gone that's a great point that is a great point i never even thought about it from that angle but i think that's totally valid all right my man well this was a great episode i hope uh hope we did the topic justice you got anything else to add before we sign off here i think the yeah i think just a couple take home or uh, takeaways from this episode is and I'm mostly thinking of the do-it-yourself band that's recording their own stuff, but then they're sending off stuff for mixing and mastering. Right. When you get those masters back, just take a listen to them on speakers and a system or headphones that you trust that you listen to a lot of music on, even if it's your car. But try to match that loudness and that volume to other stuff uh, that's out there in the world to compare to or to the other mixes themselves or masters themselves, because that's really the only way to get past this um, uh, psychoacoustic effect where we instantly think things are louder. So I think that's the real big take home. But as long as you do that, feel free to pick whatever sounds the best to you because there's really no right or wrong to this, but it's just a shame to have to sacrifice something that actually truly is better just because you were fooled into thinking that louder was better (laughs) well said well said i think that's a good good end note there all right well this was fun until next time we remind you to check yourself or you wreck yourselves have a good one guys If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. 
So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. We'll see you next week.